We are Sarah and Laura. We are doulas, mothers, women, wives, and entrepreneurs. We love a lot of things. The gym, food, coffee, health, kombucha, our families, and our friends. We are so committed to being authentic, honest, and vulnerable and showing up here just the way we are. We promise to never positive wash anything, but please know that we are wholeheartedly committed to radically thriving. With this podcast, we hope to connect on a deeper level and talk about hard stuff. Ultimately, we want women and mothers to know deeply who they are and what makes them feel happy. Whether you're getting into a bath or taking us on a walk with you. Or maybe you're commuting to work. We are honored that you chose our podcast to listen to. Sometimes you just have to hit record. You think too much and you get all these ideas in your head and then you just get too nervous to hit the button. So sometimes you just got to hit it and just go. So here I am by myself today and let's go. I'm going to talk to you about my birth stories. Um, My first one being 10 years ago. So crazy. So I believe birth stories start way before our births, way before our pregnancies even, and start with our mindset, start with our culture, start with the country we live in, um, the hospital systems we live in, the care providers we have, and even our ancestry. You know, what's the the stories that live epigenetically? So the study of epigenetics is when our stories of our ancestors actually change our DNA. So the things they have lived through can mean that we have an experience, a different experience of the world than we necessarily consciously chose. So our unconscious is this world of crazy and coolness, really, that we, you know, we experience things, um, let's say, about the war that we never lived through. And for women, so cool that we, our egg was in our mother's uh, fallopian, well, what do you call those, in the ovaries, um, while she was in utero in your grandma. So, I mean, you're parts of your DNA have physically, tangibly lived uh, for two, three generations. Anyway, getting huh, getting real sciencey early in the morning. But um, anyway, all that to say that for me, I grew up in a household that was not real medical. I remember there being times where I'd be like, mom, my finger hurts or my knee hurts. I want to go to the doctor. And she would say, well, let's just wait it out. You know, what do you think the doctor is going to say? What do you think the doctor is going to do? So I I didn't really grow up with this idea that the doctor was this savior that was going to swoop in. And my mom was never huge into treating us immediately with any sort of painkillers or any sort of antibiotics. Uh, for the most part, it was, let's wait and see a little bit. Let's trust that your body can deal with this. And then, you know, if things get a little farther, then um, then we'll, we'll take it to the hospital or we'll take it to the doctor. So just to say that I think I grew up with a bit of a, a trust that, that bodies are functional, they're capable, they've got, you know, things in place that mean that our bodies take care of of our infections, of our wounds, of our all that kind of stuff. Now, I do want to put in a caveat here because I am often the one teaching our 
um, I created our prenatal class and I'm the one teaching it. And I don't want you to hear my birth stories and my ideology, my history, and think that um, this is what I think everyone should do. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I trust. I realize that I push boundaries. I know that I trust more than others do. I know that I am willing to um, take different risks and evaluate research maybe in a different way. For example, you know, if I see something that says 98% of people do this and 2% of people do this, I might say, huh, interesting. I wonder why the 2% do that and look into that side a bit. And that's that's not obviously what 98% of people are doing. So um, please don't hear that I uh, think everyone should do what I did. Um, but if what I'm saying resonates with you, then obviously know that I hear where you're coming from too. So um, I knew I wanted kids. I got married very young and I uh, didn't want them right away. And so we were married for seven years before we thought about trying. And um, I'd been off birth control for a long time. I had done some reading about hormones and, um, and maybe it actually only been on birth control for one year before I decided that wasn't for me. So then I think I was off it for six years before we tried. So we tried, um, got pregnant and, um, I chose to, to go with a midwife. I, I had heard a little bit about that. My sister-in-law had had a, a midwife. Um, you know, a few people had, my mother had had a doctor with me and with my brothers and they were all born in hospital. And early on in midwifery care, I watched the movie, The Business of Being Born by Ricky Lake. And that was pretty influential to me. And then I grabbed the book, Ina Mae Gaskin's Guide to Childbirth. And Ina Mae is a midwife in the Midwest. Um, who is super crunchy, super granola, and is really, and I, I shouldn't even say that. She's really biological. She's really physiological. She's really into believing that women don't need to be delivered. She doesn't even use the word deliver. She, say, she says, you are delivering your baby. You are birthing your baby. We are here to, to catch if you want that or, you know, catch your own baby. So really giving and handing power back to women to say, we are here for encouragement and love and a bit of safety, but for real, you're doing this and you're just having a baby. And um, that really resonated with me. So I early on uh, started to feel out what a home birth would be like. And that made a lot of sense to me. Um, the, the safety of it felt good, understanding how I'd get to stay in my in my body and and feel good and and be in my parasympathetic nervous system, uh, rest and digest. And so that was my plan. I early on had decided that I didn't want ultrasounds. I at the time had read a bit about uh, heat and noise and disruption, and I just decided, you know, I, the, the one in a million chance that I would be having something done 
to the baby like in, in, in utero surgery based on something I found on an ultrasound was so slim that there was nothing that I would learn about a baby that would make me abort. So, and I don't know, it, you know, that was a decision I made then. So I turned down, I'd also read that at, at 20, the 20 week ultrasound is done because that's when it's clearest, but not necessar- necessarily when um, the placenta would move out of the way. So, you know, 90% of placentas that are, are previous or in front of the cervix and would mean you're having a C-section clear out of the way, which means a lot of concern and angst and worry about nothing. So I turned that one down. Fast forward along, my midwife says at 32 weeks, Sarah, you are measuring 37. So you are five centimeters larger, you know, than your due date. So I knew my conception date. We had tried one time. I, so her options were wrong date, big baby, lots of fluid or twins. So I was like, all right, well, it's not twins. So uh, she said, would you, so they had three midwives come in and they all tried to palpate my belly to see if they could find twins. But I, and I don't know if any of them actually felt they could find two twin or two babies or if one was like in my pelvis already. And so they couldn't really find that baby. And, um, anyway, no one kind of confirmed, yes, you have two babies. And I, I think in all my appointments, um, so another decision I had made was I didn't want the Doppler used. So they'd use the fetoscope. And so as soon as you find a heartbeat, you stop looking. I mean, you've, you've listened to the baby and everything's all good. So 32 weeks, she said, would you be willing to go for an ultrasound? So I said, yeah, sure. So went for an ultrasound. Uh, she said, you know, if it's half an hour long, it'll be one baby. And if it's an hour long, it'll be two babies. I was so uncomfortable in the ultrasound because my belly was so big, so heavy. And anytime I'd lay on my back, I felt like I was going to black out. So you know, it's crushing my, the, the, the vena cava, the, the sending the aorta descending, coming from into the heart. Um, so like, I feel nauseous. I, it's awful. I have no idea in the dark room has half hour gone by, has an hour gone by. My husband's waiting in the waiting room. So at the end, finally, she, she tells him he can come in for the next the last five minutes. And she says, well, you, neither of you've asked the big question. I'm like, oh, I didn't know we were allowed to. I thought we were supposed to wait for, um, your, your, you know, care provider to tell you. So she's like, no, I can tell you. So here's baby A and here's baby B. And, you know, 32 weeks along, I've already envisioned what my postpartum, what my maternity leave is going to look like. You know, I'm going for walks and coffee dates with friends and I'm going to be independent and I'm going to do this on my own. And it's going to be just me and my baby. And it's going to be great. And I'm maybe going to co-sleep and all these things. And all my dreams kind of come crumbling down around me because how, how do you like twins? Me? What? No, I'm not having twins. That was not part of my, what? No. So anyway, we, we leave. I'm a little stunned and I'm like, but I don't want twins. So then, you know, it's the whole process of, of telling everyone all over again that it's almost like you're telling people you're pregnant. So, um, we do that. And my brother was actually getting married in at West, uh, when I would be week 34 to 35. And so after a few conversations with my midwife, we decided, sure, I'll go, you know, like don't get on the plane if you feel anything. And, um, but if you do, then whatever, there is a chance you'll have them there, which I really didn't want because I didn't want to be in a NICU in a province that was not my own. 
And obviously while we were there, every twinge I thought was the baby's being going to go, me going into labor, but it wasn't, I got home and then I'm like, okay, great. We're ready. You know, everyone tells you, oh, you're probably going to labor by 36, 37 weeks. And at this point I had become now shared care with an OB because you can't have a home birth in Ontario with twins. And so also that dream kind of came crumbling down around me. And so now uh, I'm doing one week visits with my midwife and one week visit with OB. And they'd said, you know, we won't let you go past week 37, which is not language I'm a fan of. And so I was like, yeah, let me, uh, I will just do what I want. So, um, also caveat in here, I remember thinking like, I thought I was pretty fit and I was like, what, like getting to the, it may all started to make sense, you know, like twins obviously is a double load on your body. And I remember being out of breath when I get to the top of the stairs in our house and thinking it was just ridiculous, like how tired I was and how I'm just, I was big. I just thought I was uh, eating too much. I didn't really ever consider that there'd be two in there. I also would have never looked up that like, you know, identical twins are a fluke, one in a hundred, and it's just the egg splitting. It's not genetic. So anyway, we come back from out West and I'm ready to have babies. And sure enough, they're just like comfy in there. So finally at 39 weeks and five days, um, my water breaks. And I had had a couple stretch and sweeps, which I afterwards, you know, and first the subsequent baby, I decided I had no interest in. But at that point, it was kind of like, well, let's see if we can kind of move this along. And I kind of fell through the cracks. No one was pressuring me for an induction or because I I don't know, I'd only seen the OB once or maybe twice. So at 39 and 5, I was having a nap one afternoon and woke up. My water broke and there was a bit of meconium in the water. Uh, my midwife, I had never met my second or my third because my midwife was like, I was so excited that I was having twins and so excited that I wanted to have an unmedicated vaginal birth. And I had looked into a few twin people in the city, um, in the organization here and, and asked about that. And I was really dismissed early. Like, it's not about your birth. Uh, you know, don't be, don't be a hero. Don't be committed to that. And whatever can happen will happen. Like really dismissive of the fact that I wanted a vaginal unmedicated twin birth. And I felt really unsupported there. So I did not look for support there anymore. Anyway, my midwife was really uh, great and intent about being there. And then turned out that the day I went into labor was the day she was in Toronto at her baby, sh at her wedding shower. So um, it wasn't her who came to the birth. So water breaks around three 30 on a Friday. Um, you know, you don't have contractions, right? I didn't have contractions right away. So I'm kind of hanging out there Googling. What does it mean? If you have meconium kind of reading through like mostly nothing could be something could be dangerous, could be suctioning, could be, you know, poop in the lungs. So the whole gamut of, you know, feeling out the odds and risk of that. And then I uh, called my midwife, told her, and she's like, okay, well, I'll meet you at the hospital. And I'm like, yeah, okay, well, no rush. Um, drove to my husband's work at London Life, picked him up, um, and then we kind of headed to the hospital. So I think we got to the hospital around 6 p.m. My poor midwife or sub and midwife, I never met her before, um, had been there since 5 p.m. She's like, oh, where were you? I'm like, well, I mean, there wasn't really 
a whole lot to do. So anyway, I got there, still no kind of mild, subtle contractions, um, had a ultrasound. They wanted to see the baby's head down and um, the OB uh, did a really aggressive stretch and sweep at that point, which then made me realize, oh, wow, that's what people are talking about when they say stretch and sweeps are aggressive and rude. Um, that's not what, how my midwife did it. So I get it now. So get into the, the room and my, this midwife was really lovely, brought a student with her. She kept the door shut. She kept it really quiet. Um, they did want constant fetal heart rate monitoring on me because it was, I don't know, I'm, I guess I'm under shared care and, um, I didn't really ask too much about that. It didn't seem like there was a lot of options there which meant I'm kind of confined to the bed. Every time I have a contraction, my belly goes kind of square instead of round. And so the monitors are slipping a lot. At one point I asked, this is at St. Joe's hospital because Vic, it had, they had one more week at St. Joe's before Vic would be opening their birthing unit. So I went to go get in the shower, showers closed, water's off. Um, like just real archaic. Brandon, uh, at one point, it looks like we're in a triage room. Like he, he was so exhausted at one point he laid down on the floor for 20 minutes and had a quick 20 minute nap while I had a gap in contractions. So I am having back labor. I need his fists on my back. He's still in his white dress shirt and suit pants. Uh, he's doing back pressure on me every single contraction. The lovely student is sitting at my feet and rubbing my calves and she's rubbing them down towards my feet. And it did occur to me at one point that like she probably should for blood flow be massaging towards my heart, but I did not dare say anything because I didn't want her to stop because it felt so supportive and comforting. And then the midwife was kind of standing near the door with her back to the wall and, and just really looking at me calmly. And when I would have a really intense contraction, she would just nod like really confirmingly. And if that's a word, um, affirmingly. And, and it made me feel like I, what I'd read in, in Ina Gaskin's book, like you know, sometimes there's just this woman in the corner knitting who looks up when you have a really intense contraction and is like, yeah, that's what it's supposed to be like. So this is probably from 7 p.m. to 1 a.m. Uh, this is happening. And at 1 a.m., I'm like, I I don't think I, I – and I whisper this to Brandon because every – so every two hours an OB or an OB student comes – resident comes in and, you know, shoves her fingers in me and decides that I'm this far along or that far along. And do I want an epidural? Which I like, cool. I will ask you if I want one, but I obviously I'm not saying that because you're white coat syndrome and you're, it's hard and you're exhausted and you're tired. And so I'm whispering to Brandon because I don't feel like I can actually say to anyone, I'm whispering to him. I'm like, I don't think I can do this. But I'm telling myself, I'm very goal-oriented. I've got this sheet on the wall that's got circles drawn from one centimeter to 10 centimeters. And every contraction I'm envisioning, what Ina Mae Gaskin said is that you're going to get huge. So I'm envisioning my cervix getting massive to 10 centimeters. And so at some point between one and three, um, I remember at 1 a.m. I, I had um, a 20-minute nap, and that's where Brandon got to sleep on the floor, um, where it was this glorious 20-minute rest. And I honestly think that's what meant that I could keep going. And I remember telling myself at some point in there that, like, I'm going to have these babies by 3 a.m. Like, I have to. Like, that that's as long as I can keep going. Uh, at some point or around 3 uh, or maybe around 4, the Jake, um, Noah, firstborn's heart rate, starts to drop a little bit. 
And now I don't know. I obviously have reflected on this so many times over the years. Would I have had the babies faster if I'd have been walking around, if I didn't have heart rate monitors on, if I wasn't being poked and prodded, if I wasn't scared? Um, you know, would he have been in distress? Um, or is it simply the meconium? These are answers I'll never know. But uh, they kept losing the heart rate on him with the belt. So they had asked, they put the clip on him, the, 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 um, the screw, the head clip which meant that I had one less belt because one belt to do the contractions and two belts for the heart rates was like obscene. Or maybe there's only two belts. I don't remember. Three belts sounds crazy. I don't think it was three. I think it was one. Anyway. So uh, at, at some point they decide that, that I need to go, They that Noah's heart rate is dropping. And it's dropped a lot. It's dropping down into the 40s. And having been at all the births I've been to now, I do realize now the look on my midwife's face, like, that's a low heart rate. That's that's not a drop from 125 down to 90 or 100. That's that's a scary rate. So they ripped me into the OR, which I I don't think I knew at that point that that was kind of the the setup that like if this didn't go right, this was going to be uh, an emergency C-section. But um, this is the part for me that's that is my is my birth trauma. So. At this point, there the OB, you know, swoops in and he's he's like, uh, you need to get this baby out now. And so I said, okay, I just need to stand up. I just need to stand up and squat. Like I I, I just knew in my body, I could feel that I just need to stand up. And he's like, no. And I said, well, then if we're so worried, why aren't you cutting the baby out of me? And he's like, you can get the baby out faster than I can prep you for that. So I'm like, well, then just let me stand up. And they took the table away from underneath me. So there's two tables one that goes to your hips and the other one, you know, for your body and your legs. So takes that one away uh, and basically shoves his both hands inside me and is pushing my cervix over the baby's head as the baby's coming out, um, which is is the most intense pain that I've mostly blocked out um, because the that's not natural. That's not what – there's no endorphins for that, for someone doing that to you. And, you know, he's telling me to push. And I think I've said this in other podcasts. Like, I was so mad about it and so feeling so passive aggressive that at one point when I was pushing, I was just like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to poo instead because I, I'm pretending I'm pushing. And I knew the difference of what's pushing to your bum, what's pushing in your vagina. And I was like, they're yelling at me to push. And I'm like, fine, I'll push this instead. Anyway. Uh, so he comes out and he, is uh, he goes, they, they cut the cord right away and he goes straight to the NICU. I didn't even really get to see him. And so Brandon went with him. And then as Brandon's in there with him, 13 minutes go by and then I have contractions for the second baby and I need Brandon back in. Like I need him to hold my hand. I, and so he comes back in and in that moment, that's when they give him a vitamin K shot. They give him erythromycin without asking. It was on my sheet to not do it. They x-ray his chest three times. Wasn't necessary. Who knows? My mom was livid about that. She's an x-ray tech. She's like, they should have got that right the first time. You don't x-ray a baby's chest three times. So he was in there for two hours after. So anyway, so I, I'm in, I'm pushing again. Riley comes out in one or two pushes. I mean, really having a second baby after you've had a first is, is ain't no thing. It's, and he's right on my chest and I name him and I, 
he breastfeeds and I connect with him. And really, I mean, if you define trauma, it is when we can't reconcile what's going on. And so we freeze or we leave our bodies. There's different definitions of trauma. That's Gabor Mate's definition. So when we leave our body, so, so I had to put Noah out of my mind to, cause it was too hard to, it was too scary to think about. And it was, I didn't know if he was okay. I didn't know, you know, if he had cerebral palsy, I didn't know if he had lack of oxygen to his brain. And I had to focus on the job at hand. I had to focus on birthing Riley. So then the reconciliation of that time that I put him from my mind was, uh, you know, the, the work of my subsequent years to work through and get over and process. Um, so then Riley was on my uh, my chest for, never left me. We and, and then Noah came back two hours later, and he was totally fine. There was nothing wrong with him at all. He fed too, and we uh, told our families, um, you know, kind of by six a.m. And then the midwives left, and then we went home that afternoon. So it was a Saturday afternoon, um, and my mom came over, uh, my dad, my brothers. They were they were already there, so th- my mom ended up um, staying for a few nights then, and then came back for the next eight months for three nights a week. And my mother-in-law came for two days a week. And that was amazing that I had so much help. Okay. Then three and a half late years later, uh, Jacob got pregnant with Jacob again, right away. Um, and his pregnancy, I had the same midwife that I had who showed up at the birth, not the one who had been with me through my pregnancy. She was really lovely, the one who was nodding when I was in labor. So I decided this time I am having a home birth. I got myself a pool. In the meantime, I had done my doula course, so I knew even more about what I wanted. I hired a doula. I didn't have a doula the first time around because I had asked that first midwife do I need a doula? And she's, and, and granted, this is 10 years ago. I don't know that they'd worked with a lot of doulas and I don't know that they knew what they could do, um, what support they could offer that would be different than what they would. And I mean, midwives have a lot, have a lot of paperwork to do and computer work in, in hospital. And so anyway, she had said, I'll be everything you need, which turned out would have been nice maybe if I'd have had a, a doula. But so anyway, I had one for my home birth, got myself a tub, um, this time round decided I wanted a five minute ultrasound. So wrote a letter to my, uh, to the, I'm not sure actually to who, um, to say the only thing I want to know from this, um, ultrasound is that I don't have placenta previous so that I'm in the clear to have a home birth and I don't want to know anything else. Like I, I don't want that time under, under ultrasound. So same thing, use the Doppler and then, or sorry, the fetoscope which is an interesting thing, right? Like in every appointment, it's so instinctual for the midwives to use the the Doppler that I would have to remind them every time, like, oh, I don't want to use that. Um, did no no pelvic exams, did no stretch and sweeps, no cervical exams. I do love a midwifery care that, you know, for your GBS swab, you, you do it yourself. And so that was great. I was GBS negative. Uh, Jacob, I think I was 40 weeks and five days. And we were carving pumpkins. So it's October 25th and we're in the backyard 
or the kids are in the backyard. I think again, same setup. I, I'd had a nap and I woke up with um, a bit of bloody show, texted my doula and I was like, uh, oh, I think I got a bit of bloody show, whatever. How are you feeling? I'm like, oh, you know, if I, if I stay outside kind of walking around the backyard, watching my kids and Brandon carve pumpkins, like it's fine. It's totally manageable. It's only when I go back in the house that I kind of feel sorry for myself. She was like, okay, cool. I'm coming over now. I was like, oh no. She's like, well, yeah, I was going to go for a run. I'm like, yeah, go for a run. She's like, no, I'm not doing that. So she comes over. By the time she gets there, I think it's like four o'clock. She's like, yeah, also call your midwife. Really? So I call my midwife too. And so my doula gets here. It's probably here for 20 minutes before my midwife gets here. My water breaks before both of them get there. It's clear. And contractions kind of ramp up. But, you know, if I keep my feet on the grass and kind of walk around outside, I seem to be managing okay. And uh, anyway, things just went real fast. At one point, I was like, I, you know, if I get in this water in the tub, in the kitchen, the birthing tub, am I going to use up my best pain management too quickly, thinking I've got hours ahead? And I really didn't. So I got in the tub probably at 6.10, 6.20, had one or two contractions fetal ejection reflex takes over. I'm pushing. And I, I'm just like, ah, I'm pushing. And I, it was so, so intense. Like people always want a fast birth, but like fast births, your body has to do all the work in the same amount of time. And I, it's a lot. And it's like a train coming through you. There's nothing you you, to, we can do a lot of things to speed up birth, but there's not a whole lot you can do to slow it down. So I'm like, I'm pushing. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to. And my body's like backing up. My body's bridging in the water. They're like, keep your bum under the water. If the baby's coming out of the water, you can't be up and down. He comes out. I pull him out, put him on my chest. It's great. Um, I take my sweet time with the placenta. The you know I'm not getting out of the tub. Ain't nobody telling me what to do. My poor midwife at one point tried to support my feet, but you know after having a twin birth where you've got 16 people in the room with all kinds of lights and all kinds of hands in you and all kinds of people around, I was having the most hands off home birth, you know, as possible. So she touched my feet, and I was like, "Do not touch my feet!" Like I wanted my husband, and that's it. My doula at one point put her hand on my chest when I was flying out of my body saying, I don't want to do this. And she said, breathe to your baby. And I do this now with my clients. And it was like, oh yeah, I'm actually doing this for a reason. I'm, I'm having a baby. Pulled him out. Yeah. Waited. Placenta came out later. I pushed it out, uh, grabbed it in my hand, just plopped it in the bowl. And that was that. Chunky little baby. Anyway, kind of running out of time here. So that's the end. And uh, thanks for listening. We would just love it if you would take the time to leave us a five-star rating, a review. If you'd subscribe to our show, you can screenshot it while you're listening to us and even share it on the gram. Remember, you are important too. Disclaimer, we are not medical professionals. Everything said here is our own opinion and not to be taken as medical advice. We do not take any responsibility from the outcomes of you taking our advice. Please seek medical advice from your trusted healthcare professionals.